HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. You know, what happens when two guys get together in college start a catering company and realize that there's space at the bar that needs improvement aesthetically, functionally. Well, W&P Design is here to answer all those questions. Eric Prum and Josh Williams. Now, it's fascinating that your story kind of begins at UVA in Virginia, stuffing uh, mason jars of peaches and bourbon. So tell me what your dorm room or house or wherever you live <laughs> looked like. Well, I, I think it started the first day of school in our in our you know freshman first year dorms. Josh walked through the door with literally a stack of cookbooks. Um, about and not as, much else. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> um, and you know, I think what was it your third year of school? Yeah. So my, uh, so we lived together all four years of, of college after that. So somehow we made it through the, uh, the stacks of cookbooks surrounding us in our college dorm room. Um, and then my, uh, my third year of college, I went off and did uh, culinary school in, in Italy. And, uh, and that just opened my eyes to the world of food. Um, I'd worked in restaurants and, and, uh, and always loved cooking. Um, but that really kind of accelerated things. Um, yeah. So at that point, Josh came back from culinary school. My uh, level of cooking expertise at that point was a uh, I was a sandwich artist at <laughs> Subway Restaurant. <laughs> oh, it's an <laughs> actual term. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're artists. Yeah. Very talented. <laughs> um, and Josh proposed that we start a catering company. Um, I was from Charlottesville uh, where we were in school. And so we kind of had a few connections to businesses, people getting married, things of that nature. And it kind of took off. 
Yeah, we were doing it uh, out of our apartment in uh, in Charlottesville. We had a had like a one bedroom apartment with a, a pretty massive kitchen, fortunately enough, and just filled it with refrigerators and and kitchen equipment and and ran a catering company for a, but a year. What came first? Was it these mason jars with bourbon and peaches, or the catering company? So it started with the catering company. So we we really started um, off with that. And over the course of events that we were throwing, we would um, obviously do the food. And then we'd also do cocktails and and things to pair with the food. And uh, one of the more popular things that we we did was uh, peach-infused bourbon. And so we'd have... You know, every summer we'd make a, a pretty large batch of it. Um, you know, Virginia's great for produce, and, and at the end of the summer there's usually a lot left over. So we would you know, go over, pick up a bushel of peaches, and make a huge batch of bourbon that uh, would last us most of the year, and, and that was all in mason jars. See, Eric, I, I know you were a sandwich artist, but what was your <laughs> fascination with uh, not just food, but the design of food, because I know you yeah. went to school for yeah. more specific things. So I, you know, I, I really dove into the kitchen side of things. I think I really enjoyed cooking with, uh, with Josh and just diving into all of this. And my, my professional background ended up being in product design and development. Um, and so, you know, as we were doing all of this, we, Josh and I, at that time, as we were running the catering company, we had decided, you know, we wanted to get into some business of some kind, and we were going to probably go out and work professionally for a couple of years and come back and either start a restaurant or something. The original, I think the original goal was to start like a panini, a paninery. <laughs> like a panini restaurant was really aiming high on that one. Yeah, but I'm was... glad you haven't franchised the panini. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we, we got to New York and we were both working and trying to like save up the pennies. Um, and essentially during that time, we were thinking about what we had been doing and I think it was Josh had the original idea to create a mason jar cocktail shaker and beyond just that to create a line of of products in the beverage space that were similarly designed same aesthetic same sort of feel and so I I you know one night we literally came up with the original concept and actual functional design for the mason jar cocktail shaker but we really knew what we wanted to do was not to be the mason shaker. We, you know, we, we identified that this was going to be a, a really fun, awesome product. But what we really wanted to do was to design and make products in the food and beverage space so that we could be involved in the industry that we loved, uh, but we could also be creating interesting products uh, in this space. So what was the need for the mason shaker? Uh, you know, yeah. it's an interesting space to say. Well, you know, the bar industry, uh, the home bar or maybe even restaurant doesn't have this and it needs it. So often a designer solving a problem. What, what mm-hmm. seemed to be the problem at that time? I think it was it was uh, a combination of factors. I think cocktail at that time had um, the cocktail world was a bit mysterious to most people. It was very high end. You know, this was call it five years ago. You know, mixology was just starting to be a term that people were using. And uh, cocktails in general were things that you enjoyed in a high-end bar um, with a guy with a mustache and an apron making you a, a, an old-fashioned and, like, very fancy cocktail. And that's where you enjoyed them. And what we felt was a disconnect between that and um, how we had always made cocktails, which was, 
using simple, fresh ingredients at home in a very accessible and fun way. Um, and using what's around you to make a cocktail, which is really just fresh ingredients combined with spirits. And what we felt the Mason Shaker would do is not only, you know, combine, um, you know, sort of repurpose a, an existing icon of, of Americana and create like this really fun product, but it was also something that was immediately accessible to um, home users. So people could look at it and it's not a crazy cocktail contraption. It's a mason jar with a cocktail shaker attachment for it. And you can see the ingredients as you're putting them in. You can see the, the everything that goes in there. You can It's got the, the measurements right on the side. It's very user-friendly, uh, easy to understand. So it's, very, it's a very friendly thing to have in your home and to use and to actually use to make cocktails at home, which is how we wanted people to use it. Accessible, American. Mm-hmm. or Americana, but Southern. I know you guys are split yeah. within the state. Did it represent something of your childhood, your youth? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a household, I think Josh did as well, in which mm-hmm. there are mason jars everywhere. Um, you know, the the classic thing and we use it for at home was uh, for dressings and, and things of that nature. But, I mean, I grew up with mason jars being used for this, that, and, and whatever, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a super functional piece that appears in basically every Southern household. Yeah, because I look at the mason shaker, and obviously you didn't invent the ball jar. Right. Uh, um, but what you did is, is, is repackage something, repurpose something, and make people understand how to interact with that. And, you know, coming from a, a design and product manufacturing background, how important is it to have that conversation before you just launch a product line? Yeah, I mean, at our company today, we're still doing the same thing that we, we were doing five years ago. We sort of look at a category that we're, we're interested in, that we maybe want to fix, um, and we all kind of come together and we talk about our personal experience with that product or, or the category that we're looking at, and we try and think about whether we can actually make something better and if there's a purpose and a reason for it. Um, otherwise, it you know. There's not really much of a, a reason to do it. Yeah. Have right. there been discussions where like, oh, we can't improve that. We're not going to touch it. All the time. Yeah. I mean, daily. <laughs> <laughs> but are you constantly critiquing just, you know, the most banal, ordinary, everyday things? Oh, yeah. We're, I, I think that the, the, thing that, the question that we're asking every day is sort of why. Um, why are certain things designed in this way? Why, why is this difficult? Why is this annoying? Like, why is this process harder than it should be? Um, why doesn't this exist? So that that's a constant sort of dialogue, both with us, but then I think the most exciting thing is the uh, team and community that we've built at our company. Um, over the last five years, we've brought together a group of really just talented and, and interested and curious people that are constantly asking those same questions, which is really exciting. Why wasn't the Mason Shaker enough? You publish an amazing book, Shake, and then Infuse, which activated that product. But, you know, you, you can easily put the Mason Shaker on the shelf, on the shelf and it, it would sell. It's proved that. But what what's so important about creating a guide for the product? I think it goes back to sort of what we were seeing happening in, in the cocktail world. Um, we had always made cocktails in a certain way and, and thought about drinks in a certain way. And I think it's kind of a chef-driven way of looking at ingredients and, and keeping things simple. Um, 
And we didn't see anybody telling that story to people that cocktails could be simple and, and fun um, and something that you could make at home. It, it sort of was very true to our, our own experience where Josh was very much the driver behind you know the, the culinary side of our company. And as we were launching all this, I was learning as we went. And you know I learned to make cocktails in a fun, social, and, and simple way. And it, it was something that we thought others, especially at the time, there was just nothing exactly out there. There was a lot of noise in cocktail, and there's a lot of merit to those books in that process. But it can be really intimidating to people, and we kind of wanted to create something that, that allowed people to replicate that in the home. And one of the most fun things since the launch of Shake is, one, the longevity of it. It's a, it's a book that just continues to be engaged, and people, you know, post and repost cocktails that they're creating and ask us questions all of the time. It's just been one of those things that's been fun to see over the, the past couple of years. You know, looking at a couple of your other product lines, carry on cocktail kits, there's the Moscow Mule, Old Fashioned, Gin and Tonic, Bloody Mary, and more. They're classics. And you're not trying to reinvent the classics, but you're trying to reinvent the way those classics are delivered or the space in which you enjoy them. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about you know, being uh, 30,000 miles up in the sky and being able to, you know, have these things that weren't available you know, yeah. in air flight. It comes back to that question that we were asking, like, why? Why doesn't, why are my only options on a plane, you know, a Jack and Coke or, um, you know, a, a whiskey on the rocks? And we had always um, kind of like hacked together cocktails on a plane. So like the my favorite is like the the red wine and coke the the classic like spanish cocktail um and you know uh, we, we asked the question you know why why can't you get a good cocktail on a plane um and that drove us to really think through you know how do you solve that problem and you know that that process of designing the carry on cocktail kit was more of like a user experience design process because you think through what somebody's experience is on a plane and like what each step of the way when they're sitting down and opening up this kit, what are they doing and what are they thinking and, and what do they have at their fingertips to make a good cocktail on a plane? And that's kind of how the, the carry on kit was born. I hate to think of it as a low and lowest common denominator, but you know, you, you have to expect everyone to be able to use this thing, even if they're a novice. And you right. know, Eric, you saying that you kind of learned on the job, um, did these feel like fail-safe or, or you know, large-latitude cocktails that people couldn't screw up? Or is it the way that you made the product, packaged the product, that made it inelastic? Yeah, I think the, I think the product itself is, is relatively easy to understand. Um, the, design, you know, the design team and, and Josh behind all of this have made it in a way that not only are the, the components that go into it very functional and straightforward, but... The syrups, the sugars, the bitters, all of these things that we develop uh, actually take quite a bit of time to develop, and we're developing them with actually some really great uh, craft purveyors here in Brooklyn, uh, in Washington, and Connecticut. And the idea is that if we can get everything into a single bottle and or packet or something like that that is very straightforward and, and easy to understand, then it's going to be very easy to create those cocktails. 
and their TSA and FAA uh, compliance. compliance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most yeah. importantly, that was. Very uh, important. It was. <laughs> it has been uh, those those carry on kits have been a design production uh, whatever challenge that our team's really risen up to. And, and with each carry on kit that we launch, it's another challenge. I mean, the Bloody Mary kit has mini cornichons that are are pickled and packed in-house you know uh, and we've got you know the, the hot toddy kit it was you know our production manager spent weeks trying to figure out how to seal and pack and label the cinnamon sticks that are are wonderful and, and in that the hot toddy kit so with everything comes a, another level of uh, thought and engagement <laughs> with wnp design we get to drink better in the sky yeah so we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back and we'll hear more about the wonderful product designs of wnp Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. Today with WNP Design, Josh and Eric, we were talking about a couple of their barware products. Uh, and there's so much more. I mean, you guys make uh, bartender's knives, uh, peak ice molds. Mm-hmm. But what's next? Yeah, I mean, at WNP, I guess, I, you know, for, for us... Again, we're always sort of asking the question of, you know, how we can do better with something in, say, the food and beverage space overall. Uh, at Peak Iceworks, I think, was kind of the um, kind of the it is what's next this year. Um, what, what we did about a year and a half ago is we sat down uh, as a team and we looked at ice molds in general and ice trays in general. And we had all kinds of issues with them because they spilled, they didn't stack, it was hard to get the ice out. And we had a, a unique problem of creating all of these you know, cocktail books and recipe books where ice was required and we had a very small freezer so we were using all these ice molds and trays. And we sat down as a group and we said, hey, like, how, can we, how can we fix this? Um, and as a result, that line we're now adding to to kind of cover all of the major ice figurals or shapes, whatever you want to say. Uh, you can say figurals. figurals. <laughs> I'm going to try to incorporate that in the show more. Yeah, right? Um, you know, the Collins ice tray, crushed ice tray, large and small uh, ice. We've got, you know, spears that are launching that go into, like, uh, water bottles. Um, and that has been a really big um, product line for us because it's actually much better than the incumbent ice trays that are out there, and we're slowly replacing them at Sir La Table, Crate and Barrel, Bloomingdale's, you know, we're approaching Whole Foods. And so that's been a really a joy for 
for us to see as a company because we approached an entire category we, that we thought we could fix and we created products that are very mainstream and better than what's on the market and they've slowly increased to probably our, our second you know like our second best selling thing um, and that's been a real joy to continue to innovate and, and design around but do you ever get to the point where you're like who really needs another wine key and then the host <laughs> key happens mm-hmm. in conjunction with your book host mm-hmm. and that's where the circle you know exists the cycle is closed yeah yeah I, I mean I think for for things like that there's um, there's sort of sparks of inspiration that come to you know members of our team at our company and and what we're doing is um, trying to foster sort of a, a culture within our, our company of of creativity and this space for people to come up with new ideas um, and new designs and if you know, somebody on the team comes up with a great design for a, a new bottle opener. There's room for that, and uh, and that's been a really fun and and engaging thing for us to to have that level of creativity in our company. There are mm-hmm. 200 plus original products that have come out of WNP Design, but only one pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about the functionality of that. I know it's an yeah. aesthetic thing, but what, what so- problem were you trying to solve? Well, for for that one, I think that a problem solving a problem wasn't uh, as much of a driver as much as this incredible demand that came up. I think Josh, where you're coming back from Miami at one point, we had a a, a vintage brass pineapple that was originally a uh, a candle holder. Um, that I think it was from the '70s that I bought off of eBay, and we were shooting a cocktail recipe. Um, out in in Montauk, I think for at the time, and we used it on on a social media post, and it was you know, definitely not food safe, and uh, we just used it for the aesthetics of it because we thought it was cool, and um, you know the response on on social and on Instagram to that one post was insane, and everybody was asking you know hey that's amazing, you know where can I buy this? And we looked around and these these pineapples hadn't been really made since the seventies um, when they were you know, a symbol of hospitality and they were a, um, a classic sort of host and hostess gift, um, that, that kind of had fallen off the map. And so the problem really that we were solving there is that we, we couldn't buy them anywhere. I mean, you could buy vintage ones for, you know, a hundred bucks off of eBay, but you couldn't actually find one that was, uh, that was being made today. So we, we made them. Um, and I think that's kind of grown from there to, now a full line of uh, of pineapple related drinkware. Yeah, so it evolved into a, a line of shot glasses, tumblers, large format drinking tumblers, and then uh, you know another problem did pop up, and that was that a lot of the consumers and customers were trying to turn these tumblers into cocktail shakers, and asking us, you know, why can't I shake my cocktail in this? And and that led to the the, the sort of premium uh, product that we've designed, which is actually a pineapple cocktail shaker, which launched. Uh, late last year. And, and that's been a fun product that was the result of, of people maybe having mis- mishaps with a pineapple cup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I love that engagement that you have with your community uh, through social media or just through listening to your consumers. Um, but you do the same thing by supporting a community of uh, amazing craftspeople. Um, I mean, let's talk about your cocktail kit specifically. Mm-hmm. Who makes your tonic? Who makes your, you know, syrups? Uh, yeah. it, it's not just so, all within the yeah, WP umbrella. It's been amazing. Uh, we found both in New York and all over the country, there are 
a wonderful um, amount of people that really care about their craft and their product, whether it's Jack Rudy's Tonic and, and Elderflower down in South Carolina or Morris Kitchen here in New York. Kari's amazing and this has helped us out with, you know, ginger syrup formulation. And we've got, you know, Hella Bitters who's helped us, uh, you know, create a bitters for the carry-on kit or even was it Dimitri? We've got the, you know, a Bloody Mary mix guy in, in Washington. And we just started by reaching out and asking them if they you know wanted to help us, were willing to work with us. And we found that there's just an incredible community of makers. You know, we've got a, a line of mixers with Boylan Bottling, you know, Boylan Heritage, um, Club yeah, you Ginger. Can't, you can't forget Slap Your Mama seasoning. Oh yeah, down uh, in Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana. You never yeah. forget Slap Your Mama. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, our... Our head of uh, marketing, I think, uh, linked us up with them, uh, and you know the the rimming salt for our Bloody Mary mix is is made by them. Um, you know, Bob McClure at McClure's Pickles kind of showed us how to pickle things, and so we've got many bags of cornichon in uh, in our in our Bloody Mary carry on kit. So everything's kind of an adventure if you dive in deep enough. Um, and we've we've found nothing but friendly people um, on the on the backside of all of those conversations. You know, I was reading a past interview of yours, and you kind of quoted Apple as, as as an inspiration, a company that you kind of look up towards because they change user experience. Um, you know, what I've always found interesting about Apple is about the monopoly they have in user experience, that they don't let those other people come in and participate. Yet you're reaching out to, you know, this greater community, again, of craftspeople to be part of WNP Design it's a matter. So it, it, in a sense, maybe you guys have eclipsed the mode of what Apple tried to build <laughs> um, or, or realize that it's, it's about a greater community than just yourselves. Yeah, I, I think that there is a, a really strong community in this sort of food related startup scene in, in Brooklyn, especially. I think everybody kind of runs in the same circles and, and we're super lucky to be a part of it. Um, it's a really special, special community. It's allowed for some really fun. Uh, one, one of the biggest components that we try and stick to is, uh, you know, company outings and field trips where we'll take everybody to a distillery or a brewery or a cheese cave. Um, and and again, that's kind of one of the most fun fun parts of what we're doing. Everybody's kind of like learning together and engaging in the food community that is so vibrant in New York. And I mean, you do the same thing with your books now, having mm-hmm. Dovetail Press and Nick Folshall there publishing with you. Um, you're picking a specific genre and exploring that as thoroughly and beautifully aesthetic as, as possible. Uh, what is this latest run? It's Matcha, the Yoga Man, you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like air parentheses there. You that, couldn't see that. No, I saw it. see that. <laughs> and then work life. But yep. prior to that, there was Host, Buenos Nachos. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these books were associated with a product in some way. So they, mm-hmm. they were totally engaging and encompassing. Yeah, so the mission at Dovetail uh, Press, we, we partnered uh, with Nick uh, just over a year ago, and the, the, the whole idea and mission was that at WMP we'd created this vehicle that could create really great products and then from time to time really great content in, in books. But we really enjoyed the, the bookmaking process, and obviously Nick had a ton of experience there and had a great interest in creating products as well. And we felt like at Dovetail we could create a publishing company where the core mission was to create genuinely great standalone content and books alongside genuinely great products that could also stand alone but complemented one another when retailed or made available together. So it would be a great, you know, 
bean to brew coffee book with a product that allows you to, you know, create French press cold brew and pour over coffee. Both of those, the product and the book could sell separately, but when they're sold together, someone can get this great manual and also use it uh, with the product that's sold next to it. I mean, and the nacho baking mat <laughs> is one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> Too bad it's always sold out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a, it's been a really fun one. Um, and and it's definitely resonated more than than I had anticipated. Yeah. So I mean, you looked at Mexican textiles and tried to figure out what would be perfect for that. So what comes first, the product or the book these days? Generally, it it starts with the book, and it and it really starts with a category that we're we're just interested in and and think is maybe underserved in terms of content that's out there or or served incorrectly. So, with say the the book Brew that came out this fall. Um, you know, that was a category that had had books, you know, related to coffee. You know, there, there are coffee books out there. But what was missing in our mind was a, a book that could demystify craft coffee and break it down for somebody who, you know, was interested in it, but but really wasn't an expert. Um, and, and it started with that as the mission. And then we applied that same mission to a product. So we wanted to create a product that was very easy to use, very accessible, um, and uh, kind of demystified the process of making coffee at home. I hope you guys have demystifiers on your yeah. business card. Yeah. Or you can create, I, I'm thinking of it like a humidifier. That could be a product. A, a demystifier. Oh, man. <laughs> Writing that one down. <laughs> Sorry for making more work for everyone that works at WNP Design. But I, I love the greater gamut of everything that you guys do because there's such a sensibility of where it exists in the world. And I know you have like three tenets of which you work on. The last one being something that you have to feel passionately about. Otherwise, you're not going to pursue it. So what, what, what are your new passions right now past your you know, latest catalog that you're trying to pursue because you feel strongly that it should happen? Sustainability? <laughs> Personal no, sustainability. Been, no, no, we've been uh, we've actually uh, been looking into uh, recycled and recyclable materials as we could apply them to our retail network. So now we've got this great list of customers, right? We've got great the Williams Sonomas and the Surla Tobs of the world, and we are looking at all kinds of recycled and recyclable materials and applying them uh, to maybe tableware to. Groceries, to grocery totes, and market totes, and we're we're passionately pursuing what might be a line of products in that world. Um, and you know, there's not really an answer yet. You know, as the the WMP folks know, there's samples of recycled plates and you know bags and things of that nature all over the office. But it's something that we're really getting into. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we're we're looking closely at. Sort of the the groundswell of healthy and health focused products of how how people are, you know, changing the way they consume food and, and beverages um, currently, and I think it's happening at a rapid pace of people recognizing that things that they put in their body, you know, have have an effect on on their well being and their health, and you know, the functional nature of of ingredients is something that we're paying a lot of attention to right now because um, I think it's a it's a, having a a real change right now in the way people are consuming, you know, whether it's beverages or, or food at at a restaurant or how you're cooking at home, things are changing in the way that people are consuming food. 
So you're not just Epicureans. You, you truly are utilitarians. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, regardless of what you want to define yourselves at, I think W&P design is really just the new symbol of hospitality. So <laughs> thank you for, you know, making 200 plus products and continuing to strive to improve all the products that we have out. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, yeah, Excellent. thanks for having us. Uh, and you can check out more at w and design and spell out and.com of course thank you josh and eric you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hope to have you back here next tuesday at three big thank you to mofad music by cookies and david tattishore engineering just one quick announcement our book and brews kickoff is next week if you're not a member you should become one because this is a members only event of course but on april 12th we'll be at three's outpost at franklin kent with kathy irway host of eat your words and her book the food of taiwan so there's gonna be plenty of books brews and brew haha thanks again hope to have you back here next week at three cheers for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.